Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in. As you know, a lot of our episodes are pre-recorded and we, we record in bulk, so the next few episodes we got coming out were all done before this coronavirus period. So, Fran and Nadia and I decided that we should do a little message to just acknowledge and communicate like our views about what's going on. It's, it's quite an unprecedented period and difficult period especially for a lot of our listeners who are social workers, people who are affected by this and and people in the NHS, emergency services and, and yeah, pretty much everyone who's affected by this. So we want to send our best wishes and our feelings of hope to everyone affected by, by this and just say stay strong, stay together, show empathy and have hope and also let's not forget about the most vulnerable in society who will be affected by the impact of the coronavirus in many different ways some of it may be visible some of it may be invisible but let's try and do our best to keep them in mind help where we can where we have the ability and resources to but also do what's best to keep everyone safe and that's social distancing and self-isolation where appropriate but the next couple of weeks and months it's going to be quite difficult but hopefully we will get through this and we want to continue to provide content for you guys that's going to be social work related or social matters related and we've got some episodes that are pre-recorded but we will try and bring out some new ones in a virtual online way but we just wanted to acknowledge that and we hope you enjoy this episode stay tuned keep listening and we'll speak to you all soon Hello and welcome back to the Social Matters Podcast. We are three social workers talking about social matters. Yeah! Well done. So, listeners, welcome. We have got a special guest in the studio. We've actually got two. We've got a baby girl and we've got somebody else who's going to tell us a little bit more about herself. <laughs> She's getting She's, shy Yeah, now. she looks very shy. So I'm Eugene. I'm Nadia. And I'm Fran. And can I ask what your name is? Mm. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you yeah. not. What's your name? Matilda. Welcome, Matilda. Hi, Matilda. Matilda. We are very honoured to have you here with us. Mm. Oh. Oh. oh, and baby girl speaking up. <laughs> so how old are you, Matilda? Six. Six. Um, what have you been doing today? Uh, going to a party and reading lots of books at home. Oh, wow. That sounds like a really good a party day. and reading books. What a well-balanced child you are. <laughs> <laughs> what books were you reading, Matilda? Uh, phonics books. Phonics books? What? <laughs> yeah, you my, un- my favourite phonics book that I got at home. There's loads. Hold on, can I ask you a question? This girl knows how to live her life, phonics <laughs> and partying. You were learning on a Sunday? Mm, of course I was. Oh my God. Uh, of course, you know. Uh, uh, I I was um reading this morning 
when mommy and daddy were in bed. Oh, so you just said, oh, let me just get out my phonics book. Yeah. That's all? That's all you do on the Sunday? And then you had a party. Whose party was it? My cousin, she's seven. Okay. She's seven years <laughs> old. And what did you do at the party? Uh, play some games. We 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 made some tickets and, and that have our names on them. And, and we were watching a film and we were playing some games and we played music and we played musical statues oh. and, and, and pass the parcel oh. i was just about to ask do children play pass the parcel now because when i was six just two years ago <laughs> <laughs> what are you laughing for matilda stop laughing at me <laughs> when i was six two years ago <laughs> we always used to play pass the parcel at all the birthday parties so did, you, it's really did you do it pass it really slowly so no you... i did i just kept it did you did you get anything in pass the parcel did the music uh, stop I... on you did it land on you yeah ev- it landed on everybody and everyone got Chocolate and a moustache. Oh. oh, see, I've already got a moustache, so I wouldn't. Need, I wouldn't need that in that game. Phil's <laughs> looking at me now. Thumbs up. She's agreeing. I've definitely. I've definitely and got... I loved the cake at the birthday party. Oh. What was the cake? It was chocolate and Victoria. Oh. oh, did you get to blow out the candles? No, <laughs> my Why? cousin. Oh. It's her birthday. Oh, okay. Oh, come I forget. On. Sorry. I forget. <laughs> and then is it back for more phonics at home tonight? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then uh, I'm doing some podcasting of my own. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, tell, yes, us, tell, us about, tell us about your podcast. No, oh. I won't. Oh. <laughs> I think on that note, <laughs> on that what a note. great way to let you go home and do your phonics and podcasting. Could I just say thanks so much? We appreciate you being on our podcast. Knowing that you are a podcast star yourself, it means a lot. Giving this time up to us. So yeah. thank you. Yeah. Yes. Is there anything you want to say to the millions and millions of listeners? Bye. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Bye, Matilda. Bye. So, how lovely was it to have Matilda and baby girl here for a bit? Yeah. Ch- children in the room, like, does something, doesn't it? Like, yeah. It, it does something to the energy of the room. It's, yeah, it's fun. The energy really, I didn't think energy could go up with <laughs> three of us, actually. But And I think we've got go some serious competition with her podcast that I she's mean... going to go home and do tonight. Do you know what I mean? You yeah, need but, to watch out. No, but I've already set a plan to destroy the podcast. Oh, wow. Hmm. Destroying a six-year-old child. Yeah. Yes. Right. Doggy, dog. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm not going to destroy any yeah. six-year-old podcast. She hasn't really got a podcast. <laughs> so the podcast today, we're going to be thinking about working with children and direct work. Also, like having conversations with them, involving them in assessment and intervention and all of the rest of that good stuff. So that's why we had some children in at the beginning. But yeah, that's what we're going to be talking about today. And the reason why, because this was my thinking for this as a podcast subject matter, is I just I feel like... I would have really appreciated some talking around working with children when I was training to be a social worker or even in my first year of it. Because luckily for me, I had uh, I have got a lot of children in my family, so I don't yeah. feel too uncomfortable with children. But in terms of working with them as a social worker, it felt in some ways that it was a bit different. So I would have appreciated that. So that's what I was thinking. 
it's one of the biggest anxieties I've come across, either from my own experience or from newly qualified or social work students around direct work and communicating with children. And a lot of social workers, perhaps in training, don't have children. And I know that that creates an anxiety or maybe don't have children in their family who they have much experience with. And then there's this sort of thing that's put out there, isn't it? Like direct work yeah. and what, what it means. And I think... That in itself is helpful to unpick because it's any contact that you have with a child. But I think it can be positioned as this thing. What is direct work and how do I do it? And I know that's how I felt. And actually there was something for me of thinking about it's the contact that I have with this child and how I get to know them and build a relationship. And hopefully today we'll give some ideas from our own experience of things that can help that. There's absolutely some tools that can do with that but it's about moving away from it being this thing that's out there because it is something that's accessible and you can develop a toolkit sure and I was thinking as well about you know what you were saying about how direct is a thing but it's also like how have you evidenced that you've done direct work on the system is there a pretty picture with colors on it this kind of idea that have you been able to do direct work with children if it's not evidenced yeah and I don't know whether you guys have experienced this going through your career, but I don't think, and you'll talk about your training, Nads, I don't think it's something when I started off in social work that was at the forefront of my training or at the forefront of practice in a sense of evidencing it. As time has gone, there's an, an evolution and the importance of working directly with children to gather thoughts and feelings and ideas is much more in the forefront of training and practice now but like you said Fran there's still I believe with a lot of people anxiety and worries or or feelings of making yourself look silly or sound silly that may cause a barrier to that so yeah I think it's a good idea that you brought it up as a topic Nads. I wonder if we start with perhaps some of the foundations of things that are helpful to think about when undertaking direct work or communicating with children and I suppose just to go back to a document that influenced a lot of my training, the Framework for the Assessment of Children in Need and Their Families, they have five critical components in direct work. And I think they're helpful that we could bring in some ideas today. So they are seeing the children. And I know that might seem obvious, but actually sometimes social workers don't see the children. And I suppose when we say that, we mean literally see them, but people cannot see them if they're having most of their interactions with the parent as well and how they might get lost. Mm-hmm. The other is observing children. So when you're doing any visits or when you are interacting with the children, observing their interactions then there's engaging children which again we can going to think about a bit today some of the things that help us engage children and young people that we've worked with in the past talking to children again we'll share some of our ideas of of things that we've used and then activities with children so again we'll share some of those they're five things that are helpful to really keep children at the center of our work and we can break down some of the things that we've used in our practice Okay, so I was thinking about the one that you said with engaging children. And do you know what, actually, one of the... So um, aside from social work, I also did a lot of work with the young people in my youth group at my church. And there was one session where one of the young people was like, Miss, you know... You know, I want to say this to you, but you know, like I don't mean it rude, but like, like sometimes you're a bit like a child. Like, yeah. <laughs> I've like, got that loads of times. Yes, like same. We're all, all like, we've yeah. had that. Yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that. What she was trying to say is, I don't know. I'm trying not to take things too seriously, and and I think that that helps with when you're trying to engage with young people and children to not to be fun and yeah. to be relaxed because children like fun adults. They yeah. like to be able to have conversations and spend time with adults that they want to be around with who aren't too serious yeah and to add to that recognizing fun as a broad spectrum because sometimes people feel that they have to be a certain way or a certain version of fun but you don't have to be like 
a clown. A clown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be like a clown. But you have to be the fun version of yourself. Authenticity comes into that and is attached to that. And just being able to lose yourself. I think sometimes people are a bit in all different environments and also when working with children a bit uptight or conscious of how they come across and I remember in my first ever job was when I was 16 years old and seven days I started working because my, my birthday was in the summer and just before I started working and I worked in a play scheme as a play assistant I think that title was so just basically play with the kids and make sure they don't hurt themselves <laughs> I remember going in there on day one nervous first job and I was by the table football waiting for the kids to come in and then some kid comes in must have been about seven eight or nine and then went to go play somewhere else and I was like I was the only one in the room so I was saying okay let me go and engage him or, or whatever and then I went up to him and then I was like hello my name is Eugene in a very formal way shaking off the hand and then I, re- I remember him look at me and was like all right <laughs> <laughs> it's helpful when reflecting on that because I was uptight I wasn't comfortable with with losing myself I was conscious of how I would come across because it was working and working was a big thing mm. at 16 but also I was playing with children and just relaxing. By the end of that six weeks on my holidays, I was just out there. You got rid of your suit oh, yeah. and uh, <laughs> you were much more relaxed. Yeah. Just to go back to your comment, Nads, around being fun. And I guess just to build on what you said, Yudra, that can mean different things. And it doesn't have to necessarily mean that you are going in a clown suit. But there is something about that in, in terms of how we position ourselves, our body language, how we talk in a playful way. And even things like, I don't know, like often I do wear quite bright jewellery or a scarf or stuff like that because children very much appeal to those sorts of things and it can be a talking point whether it is a as I said a scarf or a watch or a piece of jewellery or something that's appealing I think how you dress is important and as I said it's not about like putting a clown suit on but all of those things if we think of our own sort of inner child are appealing yeah so what other things would you suggest when we I guess just for people out there are just sharing their own experiences are things to think about even just approaching mm. direct work what things are important thinking of our uh, of playfulness is one thinking maybe of what we wear and how we approach it what other things are important for that beginning um something while you were speaking that made me think about was like how to meet a child at their level and I mean physically as well so I'm very mindful not to speak over a child or stand over them yeah. but to get down at their level if they're sat at a table in school or something or if they're playing on the floor to try and meet them there and that involves kicking my shoes off or whatever then I'll get down and play with the kid I also try not to put too much emphasis on getting the information out of the child in the first session I very much I'll go with like um like a toy I remember once I I created you know Jenga you know that Um, questions on it yeah Yeah. with questions on it it was yeah. and you just and beauty of that is that it's not just you asking all the questions to mm. the kid the kid asks you questions yeah, yeah. that's yeah. like third object as well isn't it yeah. definitely what's the, what, as in more. a third object to show oh. the power so there's a you know the game in the middle as well can yes. really help yes. feel less pressure for the child definitely. definitely yeah also if it's teenagers or whatever like i don't always meet them in their homes yeah. like if if the parent gives consent like we'll go out for milkshake or hot chocolate or something yeah. and that is a way to maybe yeah just take them out of their context if we want to have a space where we do want to have a conversation that Mm. they might not feel comfortable to maybe not necessarily on the first time I'm meeting them but definitely as our relationship progresses then that's an opportunity for us to just have some space and time to speak I think environment is important and just to pick up on what you're saying because if you're in the home where the young person that you're speaking with whether it's a teenager or, or somebody younger has experienced whatever sort of 
harm is in the home, whether it's emotional, whether it's neglect, the context influences how they act and react. Mm. And I've seen a huge difference when I've seen a child at home compared to when I've seen them at school or when I've seen them when it's in the park, whether there's a third object that kind of distracts them or whether I've been driving in a car and then the gaze is, you're not looking directly at each other. So I think what you're saying, paying attention to the environment is important. And also on the back of your question, Fran, one of the things that I like to do when working with children and you've built up a relationship with them over a while is two things, come with options and don't necessarily come with one sort Mm. of direct work task to do. Come with options and providing the options to the child and letting them choose is also a way of having a sense of joint purpose. Mm. But also if if you're working with a child over a long period of time, in one visit, having a conversation near the end to suggest what is it that you're going to do next time mm. so I remember working with two kids and it was one of my final visits and I, I was saying to them that the next time is going to be like the second from last visit that I'm going to have with you guys what do you guys want to do together because we were playing a game at the time and they said oh we want to put a concert together and I was like all right I'm high yeah. <laughs> I was like all right yeah concert and I was like okay you guys put a show together and then when I come you can tell me what it is that I need to do so then they put on they were amazingly talented they put on such a great show based off a bit of Coronation Street at the time what was going on like there was a fire and like a pub was burning down or, or whatever and then they finished it off by singing Adele's someone is it was it someone like you I can't yeah. remember one of her and then they said that it was my turn to sing you know you guys know me and my singing but I embraced it and then they were booing me throwing their teddies and soft toys at me but in that moment what they have done in the two or three weeks between my visits was take time have it in their mind and come up with something quite creative so when we were doing that direct work which was around building relationships and then leading on to having more challenging conversation was it empowered them to take control and I think that's important as well that children don't feel like they're always being done to but you're doing something with them. Definitely a good way to sort of rewind before that almost is to put yourself in the position of the children of if we if someone just came in to my home and started to try and do direct work straight away without kind of warming the context we probably wouldn't want to talk and thinking about a lot of the children we may work with who may have experienced harm or abuse being curious about why they might not trust you and that actually you've got to build that relationship first and to show them that we are a safe and a caring and a trusted and interested adult and sometimes that that takes time and to be patient with that because sometimes there's pressure isn't there as you said to go on so you go in with all your jazz dressed as a clown with all your you know like uh, toolkit and actually you, you may get nothing but it's just being patient and persistent in a way that is patient you know giving the child time and space to build that relationship because actually a lot of adults may represent people that they don't trust who haven't kept them safe so it's trying to show them that as well which is really important yeah that make that reminds me of a case that I worked with where um a child had had a lot of social work involvement over the course of his life he was like 13 and he would often just stay in his room like when professionals came around he would just stay in his room playing his computer games and in the network there was like this conversation of how you know he's playing these 18 year old games he shouldn't be playing them and I knew that it was something that he loved so he loved playing these games so I would go in the first couple of times I just put my head around the door and was like hi I'm Nadia I'm gonna be coming to see you but then I think it was the second or the third visit 
he had another controller and I picked it up and I was like, can you show me how to play this game? Oh, I was shocking. What game was it? Call of Duty. Mate. Oh, mate, <laughs> that's my game. Back shocking, in the day. shocking. But there's something with both of your examples of showing that vulnerability. Yeah. You not yeah. being able to sing and yeah. then being... Oh, hold on. Sorry. I didn't use Boo- those words. Booed, uh, you having a different alternative singing thank voice. You, thank you. And, and you not being able to play that game that as you said gets onto their level in yeah. some way doesn't it and what what i found was just that he just came alive in yeah. terms of this is what you've That's got to thing. do you know yeah. this is this is what this means this is what that means and through the game i was able to build a connection with him he probably thought i was i was shocking so he probably thought you know yeah. who is this woman or what's she playing at but at least we were able to have some connection yeah. and actually we were able you know as our relationship progressed we were able to talk about more difficult mm. things just to say the thing about playing games or computer games with kids that yeah it's not the right age i don't know i feel i feel conflicted because maybe we should say no we shouldn't and make a boundary and say that it's not acceptable but they're doing it anyway so yeah. even if we're not there it's a judgment call i yeah. think we have to recognize what is the purpose of our involvement it's not our role to police every aspect of a child's life yeah. our involvement is is we're there for a specific reason and i know it's a judgment call and again it's different ideas for different people but i would imagine in that moment you have to find a way of connecting with somebody so i don't imagine that every time you went there you had a girl at call of duty i probably would have done that um but (laughs) the importance was that initial contact because he was like who's this strange person coming to my house and now an awareness of the fact that the child may have been feeling a little bit awkward like who is this but then you have to find something that connects you Mm. with a person that may be show me how to play this game or it may just be being very silly Mm. or having a Jenga game where you can connect I think that connection is important because then both you and a young person in a direct way or indirect way are contributing to what's happening you're co-creating the context and the environment in which you build relationships and have more difficult and challenging conversations. Absolutely. Play is so important, isn't it, for children? And one thing that I would often do with sessions is allow like free play at the beginning and end. So sort of sandwich perhaps more difficult or direct or sensitive conversations in the middle. So the free play being just kind of go in, let the children, the child play and do their thing and very much be led by them. That then if I've got that relationship might have a bit more direct work sensitive topics or questions and then allow them to play at the end. And there's something about sandwiching some sessions like that because so much comes out through play. It's very symbolic in, in terms of how a child might express themselves. And I remember a little boy I was playing with once and it was quite sort of violent, his play, and it was mirroring what we knew of the home environment, but it was his way of showing it. And I just sort of allowed him to play and just very much reflected back what was going on in terms of this yeah. sort of battle and this fight and things. So there's different ways that you can still observe as well what's yeah. going on. And it's just making me think about in systemic practice, we talk about the idea of a feedback loop and watching your words and what you say and how they come out of your mouth and how they land and seeing how they land on the person and seeing the feedback that's coming back and then adjusting and adapting yourself based on that feedback and that creates a loop in an ongoing way. And I think that is the case in direct work, whether it's what you're saying or what you're doing. You're engaging with a child, you're having this free play, you're having these difficult conversations or you're playing Jenga, they pull out a question and the first five questions they're answering, oh yeah, my favourite colour's red or I went to the last party I went to was Steve kids are not called Steve anymore but but then they pull out a question that may be about their parent and that's where the concern is and then you notice a change in their body you notice a change in in their engagement you notice a change in their language of what they're saying that's a feedback loop you may not get an answer to the specific question but the feedback that you're getting is noticing actually that was 
maybe more challenging topics so it's going to cause you to adjust and adapt in different ways you may choose to maybe notice that if appropriate ask a question about that process or maybe just pause that conversation there go away and think about how you come back to that conversation in a different way at another time so yeah paying attention to how your words land the feedback that's coming and also what is it that you're giving back and how the child is experiencing you is important as well Mm. so are there any practical tools or tangible tools that you guys have used in your practice Yes. Yeah, so as part of the signs of safety model framework where you look at things that you're worried about and what's working well and what needs to happen in the family, there's the standard, I think, tool of the three houses where you explore exactly that but with the children so you have a house with a house of worries a house of dreams which is like how you want things to be and I remember working with a kid and in his house of dreams he and that's typically the house of dreams is how you would like things to be so mm. when I was first approaching it with him it's like how would you like things to be in the relationships in your house whereas he spoke about I think I think it was something like in his bedroom he'd have a football boot making machine or oh, like yes. Good <laughs> yeah, love that. Yeah. he was very specific about it <laughs> like how it would work and the football boots it would make and yeah it wasn't what I was looking for but I suppose it allowed him the opportunity to be creative and create his own house of dreams mm. and yeah I guess that sometimes in fact oftentimes like working with kids that they throw you curveballs and you yeah. yeah you just have to yeah roll with it what about you friend There's lots of different things I've used over the years. It's helpful. I know sometimes people might get a bit worried if they don't feel that they're particularly creative, but often just pen, paper, buttons and things like that can be used. I think one thing that I use to explore relationships is the use of buttons. People always laugh at my northern button, a button, a button and different (laughs) shapes and sizes for children to say who's close to them, who's distant. And that can be quite a good thing. And you can use different items for that. So it could be rocks or different things that demonstrate family members. Avengers, uh, action figures. That's what Action I've figures, used animals. Yeah. You know, there's all sorts of creative things that can be used. The other thing is safe hands, which is where you would draw around one another's hands. And again, there's something about sharing of that space. So you can ask the child to draw around your hand first as well, as well as they draw around their hand. And then again, it's that showing that vulnerability and sharing that space. So it might be to talk about someone who kept you, you know, it might say like someone used to, I don't know, the lollipop lady used to help me across the road when I was younger to introduce the idea of people who are safe in their lives. But again, I suppose it's thinking of what information you want to ascertain and then creative ways of how you can do that. I mean, there are lots of different ways. That's just one on drawing a hand. There's another one around a garden as well, where you can draw different things within a garden. So again, it's that symbolic thing of the sun being maybe a happy thing and and then you might have like a wise owl. So different things that you could draw within this garden and then asking the child who those people might be for mm. them. So again, it's just being creative with with different ways and, and people that might be that person to the child. I'm thinking of people who work with children with disabilities or children with additional needs and, and how it's important to have a toolbox of approaches 
and be ready. I kind of feel it's a little bit like an improv comedian. Like you're on stage and you're making jokes. So I say this because I think I wish if I was a comedian. You're on stage <laughs> and you're making jokes based on your environment. You you have a have an idea of the direction you want to go, but you don't know how you're going to get there because you're like we said earlier, looking at the feedback. So the approach that you will take with one child may be different to the approach you take with another child and I think it's important to yeah adapt to your environment, whether mm. it's a child who doesn't have a garden or a child that has ADHD or something like that. So having a good understanding of child development is important, but also the the needs and perhaps the chronological age versus the developmental and emotional age of a child, because some children or young people we may work with may chronologically be older, but actually in terms of their experience may be younger. So again, mm. adapting to the needs of, of what that person, a young person or child may need. The other thing, I guess, just as a disclaimer, is that yes, children do express themselves through play and, and it can be symbolic, but it's not to then base everything on that and assume yeah. that what you met might have seen in a play session is their yeah. is their whole experience again it's about getting that holistic assessment of the child's world and what they might be experiencing yeah because I, I was thinking that because in terms of like interpreting what it is that the child is displaying it's your interpretation of that as well so it's your stuff so you know just to definitely be mindful of what you're seeing but also being open-minded about it as well about what yeah. else it could possibly mean or yeah and also with direct work it's important to connect with the overarching purpose and direction of why is it that it's important for us to, as social workers to do direct work with children. And that's a part of that is in order to help explore their experiences, help them tell their story, help explain difficult possible life experiences. And with children who may be going through the looked after process or, or may be adopted, it's about helping them tell their life story. So if we can connect with that overarching purpose, then when we're out there on our first visit, picking up the controller and them teaching us how to play a game is not to make you and I did better at Call of Duty, but it's to build the foundations of that relationship so you can get to the point where you're having more challenging conversations. So that's why free play is important. That's why making yourself look silly or be fun is important because the goal will not be achieved necessarily in one visit, but you're building the building blocks, the foundation, so that in two, three, four visit time, you can have the more challenging conversation. Or in two, three, four visits time, the child can bring up the subject themselves or approach you. And that's important to remain consistent and connect with the overarching goal and aim of direct work. Absolutely. And with every interaction, we've got the power to change their worldview of adults that may have been hindered or impacted if they haven't been kept safe by adults. And that's really important in terms of the here and now in their relationship, but also moving forward into their own adolescence, adulthood, and to be able to, to trust and build relationships with adults. So a lot of it is that key foundation relational stuff, isn't it? Of, of listening, showing that you're there, that you're trustworthy and that you're reliable and that you're safe. Okay, so that seemed like a good chat. It yeah. seemed like a good chat. I thought it was pretty all right. It was great to have Matilda on at the beginning. Yeah. And shout out to Matilda. Yeah, can I give a shout out? Yeah, whilst we're so on the subject of, uh, like, yeah, oh, yeah, thank you. Whilst we're on the subject of uh, children and communicating with children, I'd like to give a big shout out to my nephew Jamie, who is listening in Wales. He is our number one fan, Jamie. I do believe. So, Thanks, uh, Jamie. Hello, Yay. Jamie. Hope you're listening to this one and enjoy this podcast. See you soon. Oh. 
Um, Jamie, you. I remember you sent the video around in the WhatsApp group and Jamie was listening to... Yeah. Oh, what episode was it? Listening. I think he was listening active. to active listening oh, yeah, 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 whilst yeah. Uh, crafting at home. Yeah. <laughs> and he was getting all the riddles right or something, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he got the riddles right yeah. that we got wrong. Better than us. Yeah. Well done, um, Jamie. Well done. And thanks for listening, Jamie. But um, I, maybe that says something about children, though, in terms of like, well, yeah, sometimes children listen with less of a filter than adults. Oh, yeah. Do you I, know think, what yeah. I, mean? I think yeah. children do a lot of things better than us adults, actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what would be a take-home message for people who, mm. who are listening to this episode? I would say, if possible, spend time with children that are in your family or in your network or in your circle to have some exposure to children. I think sometimes it's the worry of like how to be around children sometimes feeds into the nerves and stuff. Mm. Um, so if you can, and if you do have children around you, then do just hang out with them. But also, if you don't, or if you're not able to do that, just get stuck in with the yeah. with the direct work stuff with children. Just hang out with them. Just try not to be too, you know, come, go with something prepared, but don't be too sort of caught up in getting it right. Yeah. Just, yeah, spend time with them. Definitely. And no two children are the same either. So there's something about just having a go, like you said, and, and getting stuck in. For me, it would be don't be put off if it doesn't go to plan or you somehow feel rejected by early attempts at building the relationship. I know sometimes people do that because you might come out of one session and it's a really like amazing session. And then there might be another time where the child doesn't speak to you at all and you just think, oh, gosh, but it's just about not being put off by that and, and yeah. having a go. The other thing is just developing your toolbox and whatever that looks like. We've mentioned sort of Jenga games. We've mentioned felt tip pens, puppets, buttons. So it's having things that are there, but not to be wedded to those things mm. and be a bit flexible. Fran, you kind of just told my point, but I have many different points. I would say be patient and also connect with the idea that actually your interactions with a child like you said friend there may be times where they don't go well even when they don't go well that's the foundation of a positive relationship the child knows that you're going to come back the child knows that when you come you may be fun or you may be silly and it may take a while to interact with that child or have a conversation with that child but if you connect with the overarching desire to help a child tell their story to explore what could be difficult experiences and allow them to have a voice then that will help you engage with the importance of direct work and also there is a book that we've all used in our practice and found helpful called direct work with vulnerable children playful activities and strategies for communication and it's by Audrey Tate and Helen Walsu um, and it's a really really good book it's about what 200 and so pages long and it's got a lot of different resources and approaches that you can use yeah just to say I've used it loads over the last 15 years it's got loads of good ideas and resources as well when people are thinking what do I do yeah. but but yeah just make up your own stuff as well yeah, yeah. it's all right and it's one of many so this I think social work has evolved so much that there's so many resources and like you said make up your own Okay, I think that brings us to the end. Shall I do the socials? Yeah, go on. Um, <laughs> the socials. So you can find us at Matters Podcast on Twitter and Instagram and also the Social Matters Podcast on Facebook. Please give us a review, pass the podcast on to others and yeah, just keep on listening and continuing the conversation and we'll see you next time. All right, take care. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.